Good morning, church. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Our text today will be Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. We're starting a new series today, a five-week series throughout the month of May we're calling Together. It's a series that is intended to focus on the priority and the value and the importance of the local church and why it is that we would want to be part of a body of believers, specifically a body of believers here at Redeeming Grace, but this could apply to any local church for that matter as we think about its importance. And so if you're a member of this church or maybe a member of another church visiting here today, we pray that this series would be a reminder and an exhortation even as to why your participation in the church matters, why it's important, why it should be a priority. And for those of you who are not members of a local church or have joined a community of believers, that it would be a call to you, an exhortation to you through this series to link arms together with a local body of believers. And so it's that kind of focus as we think about who we are, what we're called to do, why we're called to commit to each other as the body of Christ. So with that in mind, I wanna read, beginning in Ephesians chapter four, verse one. These are words the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus inspired by the Holy Spirit. We read, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you open our eyes and our ears now to see it, to hear it, to receive it, that you would be glorified and that our lives would be strengthened, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Tribalism is a cancer. It's a cancer in our culture, and sadly, it's a cancer in today's church. Yet many of us, all of us, I should say, can and do identify with certain tribes. Even within the, within the evangelical church, there are tribes, networks, denominations, coalitions, all of which can be quite useful and helpful in helping us catalyze and work in ministry together. The problem though is when we elevate certain tribes to which we affiliate with being our ultimate identity marker. In tribalism, people draw hard borders around their particular tribe or community. You're either in or you're out. And we begin to size each other up based upon which tribes you belong to. We've already got you tagged. Sad thing is that often, many of these borders are being drawn around issues that are not of primary importance. Not issues of 
ultimate essential importance. And we begin to paint people who aren't like us or think about everything like we think about, like we do. We begin to paint people who aren't in our tribe in a negative light. Think about any number of issues today. Politics, matters of race, other social issues, the pandemic, and on and on we can go. We tend to navigate towards our tribes of people who think like us and want to put forward a particular perspective in a matter. And we begin to paint people who don't fit into our tribes as something of an enemy. Brothers and sisters, these are real divisions causing a lot of trouble in today's church. Churches are dividing over matters of politics and race and social cultural issues. Churches are dividing over a mask. When we lose sight of the essentials and we begin forming hard lines and tribes around matters that aren't gospel issues, we end up hindering our mission, confusing the world, demonizing each other, and further fragmenting ourselves into more and more tribes, which do not bring glory to God. So then, what are we called to do? Who are we called to be as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Paul speaks into that with clarity here from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Building from the first three chapters he un, where he unpacks the, the, the glorious work of God's redemption in Christ, he now exhorts in chapter four the Ephesians to walk worthily of the Lord. And the very first thing he mentions that is an expression of that walk is this idea of unity. Now, unity is itself a neutral thing. People can be unified for any number of reasons, ungodly reasons. The unity we're thinking about, the unity we're called to, is a unity that is established in the gospel by the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, resulting in one believing community with one common aim and goal. That's the unity we're speaking of this morning. And so this exhortation that we find here in the fourth chapter of Ephesians is simple. Walk worthily of the Lord by striving to maintain unity. How do we do that? Paul tells us. I want us to see two main things from this text today of how we go about maintaining the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace as a reflection of walking worthily of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The first point that we need to see in regards of how to go about maintaining unity is this, we are called to cultivate the virtues of unity. Cultivate the virtues of unity, and you see that in the first three verses. Paul, in verse one, uses this very important connecting word, therefore, you see it. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. This word is connecting us to everything he's just said in the first three chapters of the letter. 
how unity, how walking in a manner worthy of the Lord is dependent upon chapters one, two, and three, where he unpacks for us the reality of human depravity and the blessings of God's redemptive work in Christ. It's in those first few chapters where Paul unpacks some foundational truths explaining how these believers, just like every other believer in the world, has been brought near to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though previously they had been dead in trespasses and sins, they had now been made alive with Christ and given a newfound identity within a new community. And now Paul is urging them, he's exhorting them to walk in a way that reflects that identity. By walking in a manner worthy of their calling, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Notice he doesn't say, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord by establishing unity. That's been done. The unity he's calling us to is not something we are to create, but rather to maintain. God has established a unity already in the gospel. Go back to chapter two, dead and trespasses, but now God has made us alive. You keep reading there, the result of this, pick up in verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Through the gospel, one of the mysteries of the gospel is how God in Christ has brought Jew and Gentile together as a new community of, be of believers. He's made a people that were once separated by all kinds of things, he's now made them one. So that's what we need to be hearing coming into chapter four. This unity is a work that God has established. This togetherness. Yet this blessing of unity can easily be damaged when believers aren't living in a way that seeks to maintain this unity. This is why these virtues are so important. How do we maintain this unity that God has established? Through these virtues. Let's look at them together. You see in verse two, most of them. The first one is humility. One of the ways that you and I are called to maintain unity is by the cultivation of humility. Pride is the great enemy of unity. Most division. And all division in some capacity can be traced back to forms and expressions of human pride. In order for unity to be maintained and in order for unity around the gospel to flourish, humility must be present. 
Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, saying, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So whose unity, or excuse me, who, what, who is it that, that's to, to clothe themselves in humility? All of you. This is not just for a certain segment of Christianity. All of us are called to cultivate, to put on, to clothe ourselves with humility. In the Old Testament, the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 66, verse two, the Lord says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humility, the Bible teaches us this in both New and Old Testament. Humility draws the gaze of God, whereas pride draws his opposition. And it's humility that begins to lay the groundwork for unity to be maintained. Paul's instruction to the Philippians in chapter two, verses two through four is so important for us to recall. Where Paul's exhortation to the church at Philippi, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Brothers and sisters, if I think that if there was one passage I could exhort myself and exhort the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today to meditate on and to apply, it is Philippians chapter two. Because in many times, in many respects, we are doing a poor, poor job. As you think back over all that's happened in our culture as of late, things that now are bleeding over really extensively into the church, how often has humility been something you have sought to pursue as a way to maintain unity? Humility. Second, Virtue we're called to, to cultivate is gentleness. It's similar in some ways to humility. It implies a quiet restraint. It's the idea of not being domineering or forcing ourselves on people, but seeking to be considerate. With all humility and gentleness, Paul says. How many of us could be described as gentle. Gentle in tone, gentle in demeanor, gentle in how you address those of a different tribe. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, expressed a range of emotion. But he was a man who was also gentle. Matthew 11, verse 29, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Unity is dependent upon humility and gentleness. Think about that, Cole. Can, can, can you be described as someone who is both gentle and humble? The people who know you best, your friends, your spouse, your neighbor, whoever, whoever knows you best, would they describe, when, you, when they think about these virtues, humility, gentleness, is your picture coming up in their minds? Can the tone, can your tone and the things you post on Facebook be considered as gentle? In conversations with others of which you disagree strongly, Are you gentle? Friends, I confess, I find gentleness lacking in my life. I get ramped up about lots of things and I'm often not gentle. Therefore, it's hard to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace when we aren't cultivating these virtues. I mean, I have strong convictions just like anyone else. But I'm reminded here that my goal in Expressing my convictions and my sometimes opinions over certain matters needs to be done in a way that is both humble and gentle as I seek to unify and maintain this unity around the ultimate truths, the gospel. Reminded of the Proverbs, Proverbs, excuse me, Proverbs 15:1 says, a soft answer or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We're called to cultivate gentleness. Patience, number three. Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, so you see this, this exhortation, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And then in verse two, he's, he's listing these virtues as the way from which you get to verse one to verse three. Humility, gentleness, now with patience. No problem in this room with patience. Let's move to the next one. <laughs> Let me just say a few things about it. Anger is almost considered a virtue by the world today. Anger sells. So the more hotheads we can put on our TV news outlets and podcasts, the better the ratings. And listen, Christians are some of the most faithful consumers of anger. Patience is a virtue we desperately need to cultivate, especially today. You know, I often, often say that if you wanna see just how prideful, sinful we are, just get in a car and drive around for a few minutes because you can see selfishness on full display just driving down the road and how we navigate. Patience. Listen, when you think about driving, you, you don't need patience when you're the only car on the road, right? Like at 4 a.m., you just don't need patience, you just drive. Where you need patience is when that car that's in the left lane that you're trying to, to pass these other slower cars, there's this car in the left lane that is driving slow and people are having to, to go around them or worst case, I've experienced this multiple times this week where you've got people in both lanes and you can't go past either. 
listen, let's just clarify this right now. The left lane on a two-lane street or two-lane thing <laughs> is a passing lane. And if you're one of those people that think that both lanes are just an option for driving in, go back to driving school because you're causing stumbling in a lot of us. It's not an optional lane. It's a passing lane. It's for the fast cars. If people are going on your right around you, you've got a problem. That's when you need patience. Friends, how often do you treat fellow believers like that car that's slowing up the fast lane? You get irritated with them, you're short-tempered with them, and you zoom around them, leaving them in your fumes as if you got something to kind of prove. It's often how we treat one another, isn't it? This person is blocking the lane and they should know better. And so instead of loving them and praying and being patient, trying to understand they may have circumstances that, that, that have put them in this point, who knows? We just zoom around and we just try to do what we can to prove our point and move on, leaving them in the dust. Unity requires patience, and it's hard. Listen, we're not all going to agree on every issues that are every issue that's out there. Even on doctrinal matters of secondary or tertiary importance, we're not talking about the doctrine of God. We're not talking about the gospel. We're talking about secondary matters. Even over secondary, tertiary matters, we're not always going to all agree and therefore, we're going to need patience with each other because there will be those times of disagreement. And one of the things that will help us is understanding God's disposition towards us is one of patience. That breath you just took is a demonstration of God's patience towards you. Number four, another virtue that we're called to cultivate is bearing with one another in love. This idea of forbearance. This virtue is one that builds from the others but will go far towards helping us maintain unity. It's a calling to bear with, to have an attitude of love towards those who especially irritate, frustrate, disappoint, discourage, push you. We're called to bear with them. Someone once said, anyone can love the ideal church. The real challenge is to love the real church. It's easy to love what should be. Very difficult to love what really is. And we are what really is. Consider these virtues for a minute. Humility, we could all do a sermon on each of these, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. Brothers and sisters, I just ask you, how do you see these things growing in your life? I'm not talking about people around you, you. How are these virtues being cultivated in your own heart? How are you doing in that? Is, is there one or two or all of them that you, you tend to struggle with most? 
Maybe as you reflect upon these virtues, choose one or two that, that you find especially hard for you in particular and seek to meditate on the scriptures before God on ways that you can grow in these virtues. Ask people to come around you to help you with these virtues. Remember, brothers and sisters, the end goal in maintaining the unity of the Spirit is the glory of God. You're not being called to grow in humility so that we can affirm your humility. That's not the goal. You're being called to grow in humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance because of how it impacts those around you. These things are fleshed out in community with others. You can't grow in humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance without relationship. That's the point of them, is so that you can love others well. And as a result, you maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Bearing with one another in love, Then the fifth characteristic that I want to point to is this idea that we find in verse three, eager. Make every effort. To maintain the unity of the spirit, some translations will put it. Listen, this call to unity, this call to maintain unity is not something we do as some reluctant concession. It's something we're called to be as God's people and to pursue it with an eagerness. Now this sense of eagerness is not so much a virtue itself but the attitude by which we express these other virtues that help us maintain unity. I love what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said once. He said, unity is itself inevitable among all those who have been quickened by the Holy Spirit out of spiritual death and given new life in Christ. He's saying the gospel, the Lord through the gospel establishes unity, it's inevitable. What we have to be careful with, he goes on to say, what we have to be careful about is that they don't allow anything, the believers, anything to disrupt it or in any way interfere with it. Friends, are you eager in your pursuit to maintain unity? Is this a priority in your life? Are you eager to maintain unity around the gospel or are you more eager to press forward the agenda of a particular tribe to which you belong? Friends, this must be a priority. I want you to think about all of the issues of late. I'm just gonna list some of them which have caused trouble in churches. There's many more. Just think about all the things that we've had to navigate as of late. Masks, no masks. Vaxxed, anti-vax. Racism is individual and systemic. Others, racism is only individual. The political tribes, Republicans, Democrats, independents, others. The call for Christians to address matters of injustice. Others saying matters of injustice are a distraction to the gospel. Even within the pro-life camp, there are splits, the abolitionist and the incrementalist. 
Even within complementarianism, there are those who see the application of it differently, tribe after tribe after tribe. All of these things, all of these things I just mentioned are true of people in this church. I just listed off a bunch of things that people in this church sitting in this room right now hold very different opinions on. Tribes. These issues require these virtues. They require humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, not the unity of your tribe. We may not all agree on how to address all of these things and who knows how many more, but we should at least do so as Christians who labor in love towards one another. And so when you're posting on social media or speaking to someone about these kinds of things, are you doing that with gospel unity in mind? Is gentleness, humility, patience, forbearance governing your attitude at that moment when you're speaking or typing? Brothers and sisters, we must be eager not to win an argument, but to maintain unity. And that requires dialogue, listening, empathy, and self-denial you're not going to get on Fox News or CNN. cultivate the virtues of unity. All of us have much room to grow in all of these areas. Commit yourself to growing in this. If we spent the time trying to cultivate these virtues instead of trying to argue the, the, the pros and cons of our particular tribes, I think we would see much more gospel unity. Second thing that we see from this text, not only should we cultivate the virtues of unity, we should remember the basis of our unity. You see that in verses four through six. Paul goes on to provide the basis of his appeal here. As he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven times in these three verses, Paul uses the word one. And I want to try to address them from three different categories. Think about the basis of our unity. First of all, unity is based in our common identity. One body. Again, Paul is emphasizing the truth that he hit back in chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. Go back there. He's talking about that he might, verse 16, he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have been brought into one body. One. Through the one hope. 
that the one Holy Spirit applies to us upon hearing it and believing it. And we identify with this one Lord and Savior, this body of believers through the one baptism where we publicly identify with Jesus and his body. The reason this is important for us to remember is because tribalism can fester in our hearts and cause us to define our main identity around those things and not the ultimate most important thing. Again, I'm not saying all tribes are bad. All of us are part of them. Some by choice, some by just because of who you are, what gender you are, what color you are, what economic status you are, on and on we can go. You just inherit a tribe. But sometimes we choose them and not all the tribes are bad. They're very helpful at times. So I'm not, don't hear me saying I'm anti-group. That can be beneficial. We have to remember we're complex beings that have a lot of things that contribute to who we are, our ethnicity, our gender, whether or not we're married, single, student, or an employee, American or other nationality, on and on we can go. These are important factors, but they are not ultimate factors. The identity we all share in common is this one hope as one body. We are called to prioritize that. We are maintaining unity around that, a common savior, a common community with a common mission. That's what we're called to. We're not called to make Republicans. We're not called to make Americans. We're not called to make other tribes. We're called to make disciples of all nations. That's what we're called to because we're part of this one body that we've received through the one Lord and Savior. Division happens when we lessen that and elevate the others. Listen, let me say this crystal clearly. If your tribes to which you belong aren't helping you honor Jesus and make disciples, you need to get out. We are part of one body given one hope, applied by the one spirit. Our unity is based on this common identity. Second thing that we see is that unity is based in a common confession. Verse five, he talks about one Lord and one faith. We know that the early church tradition had a tradition of this confession at early baptisms that people would confess as they are baptized in obedience to Christ's command that they would say Jesus is Lord. They're confessing his lordship over their lives as they surrender themselves to his, his rule and reign over them. And that's what is true of all of us. We all have the same master. We all have the same Lord. One Lord. But he also says one faith. That word faith is normally used in the sense of active belief, but here he uses it as a reference to the, the same set of convictions or beliefs that would have been commonly confessed among believers. Paul is saying here that in essence, there, there weren't competing forms prominently present in the Christian church of his day. 
Maybe differences of cultural expression, maybe differences in church organization, maybe some small differences here and there, but generally speaking, they were of one faith, one confessional belief. Too often as Christians, as churches, even as denominations, we act like competitors. Now there's right time for us to be critical. And sometimes when we think about drawing those circles, I'm talking about drawing circles and hard borders around things that we can rightly disagree on. There's a place to draw a border, a boundary. That's what our confession of faith does. It draws a boundary and says, these are the essential things that we believe that the Bible teaches about these main things. And in order for you to be part of this church, you need to agree to this. So don't hear me saying, don't ever draw borders. We do it. We've done it with the confession of faith, with the gospel. Where we tend to get an error though is beyond that, where we restrict the faith down to something that's, that's not that. So therefore, in order to be a real Christian, you've got to think this way or act that way or believe that. And these aren't gospel things. These aren't Trinitarian things. These are not authority of scripture things. These are other things. Think about that just within theological circles, the church polity. There are churches just like us that don't have elders. They have a single pastor and they have deacons. They, some are less congregational and some are more congregational. There are applications of complementarianism that may vary from believer to believer, from church to church. Matters of eschatology, matters of freedom, such as the use of alcohol or dress, etc. All of these things are, are often things where we tend to draw hard boundaries around them and say, you're not a true Christian unless you're this kind. And what I'm saying is be careful to draw those hard boundaries around those areas, rather, be reminded that we are a people to pursue unity and maintain unity based around a common confession that is gospel-oriented. Unity must be found there. And then three, unity must be based in God's united character. In verse six, he says one, and he speaks of one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. As he brings this section here to this climax, he's pointing to the unity found in God himself. So brothers and sisters, when we strive to cultivate these virtues by being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, what we are doing is we are, we are affirming the very character and nature of God, who himself is unified in his being. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we cause division, what we're doing is we're making a statement to the world that's very different than who God is. Listen, he didn't call us to unity because he thought it would be an effective way to do ministry or just because it happened to be more efficient. Uh, maintaining unity is not very efficient. It can be very difficult. Thus the virtues. He calls us to unity because it models, it exemplifies his own character, who he is. 
So therefore, when we pursue unity, we are pointing, we are making a statement about the nature and the character of God. And when we live as divided people, when tribalism prevails, we are giving a different picture of God to the world. Paul says, I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Friends, this is not an easy road to travel, but one we must travel. It's hard work, especially in a day when so much division is prevalent, it's prominent. So let's not allow our separate tribes, good as some of them may be, to distract us from the fact that we all belong to God's tribe through the gospel, by the Spirit. And let us find joy in that and do all we can by God's grace to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace for the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, as we think about who we are called to be as your people, we were reminded this morning that we are one through the one gospel, the one savior, the one spirit. And Lord, there's so much in this life that would seek to damage and destroy that. So Lord, would you help us to be wise? Would you help us to be discerning? Would you help us to be mindful? Lord, my prayer is that these virtues that we hear of in your word this morning would be virtues that every single member of this church would strive to cultivate. Not so that we can boast about our humility, our gentleness, our patience, not so that we can affirm how loving we are, God, that we would cultivate these by your grace, by your spirit, so that we can maintain the unity of the spirit for your glory and the good of the world that watches us so carefully. God, forgive us when we have failed to do this. Forgive us when we have sought to be more concerned, not with the interest of others, but with the interest of ourselves. Remind us, Lord, of who we are and what we're called to be and do. And Lord, would you give us grace, even in our disagreements, to be patient, to forbear, to be humble and gentle. That we would speak the truth, but Lord, that we would do so in love and with grace towards each other. God, would you move powerfully in our lives to, to bring this to pass? God, that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would be a people, a place, a community that is known, that is known as an eager people to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace for your glory and for the good of the gospel. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.